I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. There's growing global concern about the threat from antibiotic-resistant pathogens. That's leading to new interest in looking beyond traditional antibiotics to monoclonal antibodies to address the problem. We spoke to Ken Stover, Senior Director of Infectious Disease for Metamune, about the problem, the role monoclonal antibodies could play, and why new efforts hold more promise than previous ones to enlist these powerful therapeutics more often associated with cancer and autoimmune diseases. Ken, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for uh, the interest, Danny. In April, the World Health Organization issued its first global report on antibiotic resistance. It, it called current problem of antibiotic resistance a, a major public health threat. Perhaps you can begin by explaining the problem of resistance. How did we get here, and, and what are the threats? Well, before before antibiotics as we know it, the broad-spectrum antibiotics that uh, we use today, it actually all started with uh, horse serum therapy, using uh, serum derived from horses immunized with bacterial toxoids and pieces of bacteria bacteria. And this was, in essence, uh, a uh, form of focused spectrum uh, polyclonal antibody therapy. And it, and it actually worked. And it was, a, it was a major triumph in early immunotherapy. But doctors had to know what they were treating. And horse serum wasn't always well tolerated by patients. So in the 1930s, with the discovery of broad spectrum penicillin and other antibiotics, more convenient Empiric antibody or empiric antibiotic therapy was enabled, and it was much simpler and safer than horse serum. And uh, so, broad spectrum antibiotics certainly were uh, one of, if not the greatest advances in medicine in the past century. And while most of us are aware how well they work in ear, nose, throat, wound infections, etc., they're also in the background as a cornerstone of, of uh, modern medicine as we know it. And without them, you couldn't treat major traumas, transplant, uh, have transplant uh, um, surgeries, immunosuppressive therapies, um, what have you. So uh, all this would not be possible if you didn't have antibiotics supporting things in the background and preventing or treating infections. But the use of broad-spectrum antibiotics in people and in animals and the inappropriate use of broad-spectrum antibiotics, particularly in less serious infections, has led to this global selective pressure for drug resistance that's now so prevalent today. And, uh, you know, that's because a broader-spectrum antibiotic may be potent on some bacteria, but less potent and marginally active on other species. And in addition to mutations that can lead to resistance, the resistance is already out there in some species. It could be transferred from one bacterium to another. And, um, um, and if it's transferred to a problematic, problematic human pathogen, uh, that's, that's an issue. So, um, what happens is the susceptible organisms are gradually killed off, leaving the resistant organisms to better compete. 
And resist, you know, resistance actually occurred very early on with the uh, development of penicillin, streptomycin, these early antibiotics, and it was recognized. But the industry was able to keep up with new, more potent, and broader spectrum and somewhat more specialized antibiotics for certain applications until the 1990s. This was a major focus for drug companies, and there may have even been a glut of antibiotics uh, out there, and that led to less judicious use in in humans and animals in what uh, has been written about recently and called uh, an example of a tragedy of the commons, and I think it's a good analogy Uh, because in this case, the indiscriminate use of this antibiotic resource led to their loss of use in many other cases. What are the type of strategies the World Health Organization is calling for to combat the problem of antibiotic resistance? Well, the WHO really focused more on the uh, uh, increasing bacterial surveillance, really watching and, and uh, better understanding the problem, and um, um, and and didn't really, uh, you know, um, that was more surveillance and not as much uh, focused on the solutions and new drugs. Um, but more recently, there's been other uh, reports that have come out. Uh, such as the president's PCAST report, um, that is more broader in its uh, approach, and in addition to surveillance, emphasizes antibiotic stewardship and the continued development of novel antimicrobials and supporting strategies, including diagnostics and uh, incentives, both economic and regulatory incentives, to push uh, you know new product development in this in this space. Well, Metamune has been working to use monoclonal antibodies as a way to combat antibiotics. I think most people think of these therapeutics as agents in the fight against cancer or autoimmune disease. You're not alone in, the, in this effort. Why, why haven't we seen monoclonal antibodies in a broad sense enlisted to combat bacterial infections in the past? And what's changing that now to, to drive interest? Yeah. Well, first, I want to say that we aren't Combating antibiotics because uh, you know we 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 want to actually support um, preserve antibiotics. And, I'm, I'm sorry uh, if I um, misspoke. I meant bacteria. Yeah, yeah. So we're combating <laughs> antibiotic resistance. Um, and uh, a number of us at Metamine have actually spent more time working on small molecule antibiotics than we have on on antibodies. But um, and you know we are. I think the the use of broad spectrum antibiotics has uh, has been an eye opener, and while you know um, hugely important, it's clear that we need more focused spectrum, narrow spectrum approaches to uh, to avoid more issues with resistance in the future. And antibodies are exquisitely uh, specific in their activities. Well, in the past, there have been at least two problems with the use of monoclonal antibodies in in treating bacterial infections. The first is their price relative to conventional antibiotics, and and the second has been problems with their clinical efficacy. What's the case to make for monoclonal antibodies? Yeah. Well, you know, what a lot of people don't know is the first monoclonal antibodies tested in humans were actually aimed at treating bacterial sepsis. Um, But it is, you know, it's clear now that they were going after the wrong targets, and there are a number of really reasons for failure. Uh, and uh, we've studied that in uh, in great detail, and I think we've learned from the past shortcomings on on why they failed. And um, it's true that there's only one approved MAB on the market 
in, in the infectious disease space, but that's actually our antiviral MAB at MedImmune, uh, palivizumab, which is indicated for prevention of RSV infections in high-risk patients. But it's been in use now for over a decade, and it's purely proven to be highly effective while tolerated, and more than a million children have been dosed to date. And, you know, this, this drug met an unmet Med- medical need and has exceeded all expectations and made the company what we are today. So, again, I think the the reason why um, the time may be right to take a, a MAB-based approach for the bacterial resistance problem is that um, a multi-pronged strategy is is needed that doesn't rely on broad-spectrum antibiotics or empiric antibiotic therapy and to take advantage of MAB uh, specificities. And they also have much longer half-lives, which means a single dose uh, means a single dose could provide long-lasting protection against infection and ensure compliance. And they also work differently than current antibiotics and would not select for additional antibiotic resistance. In addition, uh, MAB discovery, engineering, production technologies have greatly improved and progressed. And with Metamune's long standing expertise in the infectious disease space and with vaccines and research and MAB technologies, we believe we should be involved in this promising approach in the arms race against uh, antibiotic-resistant pathogens. Well, MedImmune is working on developing monoclonal antibodies for certain antibiotic-resistant pathogens. What, what are the indications you're pursuing it and why those indications? Yeah, we're pursuing the most the first, you know, two most problematic drug-resistant bacteria and the most advanced efforts and uh, current clinical projects now are directed at Staph aureus and Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And Staph aureus causes a variety of infections ranging from simple skin and complicated soft tissue infections, bone, heart valve infections, serious pneumonias. And the drug resistance rates for Staph are very high. Uh, probably heard of methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, MRSA, and uh, um, but fortunately, there are some antibiotics still left for MRSA, and we hope to preserve those. But the best way to uh, preserve antibiotics may be to prevent infection in the first place and to reduce the use of antibiotics or augment their therapy so they don't have to be used for, for such a long period of time. The other clinical program is aimed at Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which is an extremely challenging, often drug-resistant, opportunistic bacteria also causing a range of infections associated with trauma, immunosuppressed patients, cystic fibrosis patients, and, and uh, is also a problem in, in intensive care patients on ventilators. For both staff, the st- staff and pseudomonas programs, we're currently focusing on preventing the serious pneumonias in, uh, caused by these two organisms because they're, uh, we believe, the highest unmet medical need and hugely expensive to the healthcare system well, when well, they do happen. Let's take those one at a time. Let's start with the lead candidate. Where is it in the clinic, and what does it actually do to combat the pathogen? Yeah, well, our most uh, advanced antibacterial MAP candidate is Medi-4893 targeting Staph aureus alpha toxin, and alpha toxin is expressed by Staph aureus in the majority of clinical isolates, the vast majority of clinical isolates we looked at. And while it's a single target, it appears to have multiple pathogenic mechanisms causing tissue damage and immune dysfunction. So a MAB targeting Staph alpha toxin has the potential to block multiple Staph pathogenic mechanisms. So what does the drug actually do? Is it So it actually neutralizes, it binds the alpha toxin and prevents it from uh, forming pores in the membranes and disrupting the immune response in the host. And and this is now at a point of a a mid-stage clinical trial? 
Yeah, it's now uh, about to, we're about to close to initiating phase two clinical trials with Medi4893. Yeah. And what do we know about it from studies to date? Well, uh, in addition to the promising preclinical studies showing excellent protective activity and in uh, multiple mouse models of infection for pneumonia, skin and soft tissue and bloodstream infections, which we've published on and presented publicly. Earlier this year, we did we completed the phase one clinical trial, and uh, overall, there's a uh, there's a very favorable safety profile. And this map has also been engineered to have a, a actually a longer half life than than your uh, normal uh, monoclonal antibody. Its half life it turns out to be about seventy eighty five days, which is ideally suited for single dose, providing long term protection uh, and uh, prevention against Staph aureus infections. So with these data, we're proceeding to phase two. Is there any thought of using this prophylactically with hospital patients that are at high risk? Yes, that's exactly exactly the approach. And our first approach really is to target uh, uh, patients, seriously ill patients uh, in the ICU or hospitalized, uh, for example, on ventilators. And uh, we're taking that approach because, as I said, I think it's the highest medical need, but also because we think we can um, uh, enrich our patient selection so that we can do a, a more efficient clinical trial. How about the second candidate? Where is that in the clinic and, and what is its mechanism of action? Yeah, Medi uh, 3902 is our novel multi-specific MAB targeting Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and it hits two distinct targets on the surface of the bacterium, and it actually possesses three different mechanisms of action. And uh, the first target is a is the subunit at the tip of a needle-like complex called the injectosome on the bacteria, and that needle uh, injects multiple toxins from the bacteria into host cells, and it's a major virulence determinant for this bacteria. And the other target is a, uh, an exopolysaccharide called PSL, a sort of slime layer that surrounds the bacteria. And uh, this MAB actually inhibits cell attachment and helps the host cells to engulf and clear the bacteria. And at Metamune here, we, we engineered it. Our antibody engineers put these MAB binding units together into a single molecule, which actually worked better than a mixture of the MABs in combination. And um, we're very encouraged that this sort of multi-specific approach may bear fruit for other efforts as well. I take it that some of the reasons earlier efforts haven't been successful in the clinic is has to do with the fact that they're binding at a single site. Is that is that correct? Yeah, previous approaches for the most part have all really been uh, single targets, and they've probably been aimed at the wrong target. And because bacteria, uh, different clinical isolates may express different targets or may cause different diseases, they can be somewhat diverse, uh, or they may use different pathogenic mechanisms to cause different diseases. Uh, we feel that it, it's uh, a bet, you know, more prudent to actually target multiple mechanisms of action that are uh, important for, um, you know, to multiple clinical isolates and for more types of infections. Well, we've seen monoclonal antibodies often more effective in combination therapies than alone. I take it that's the idea here. What what will these be used in combination with, and, and why is that a desirable strategy? Yeah. Well, the combinations we are working on progressing 
as candidates are MAB combinations. So combining a, a MAB that hits one bacterial target uh, with a MAB that hits another bacterial target with a different mechanism of action on uh, on the same bacteria. And in the future, we might combine antibodies that target these bacteria to uh, target multiple bacteria at the same time. Um, what we're not really doing at this point is combining, even though we've shown that these antibodies can really complement antibiotic therapy, even though we're focused more on prevention, what we've shown uh, in, our, in our publication so far is that um, by combining with antibiotic therapy, actually, the antibiotic therapy can be greatly enhanced, but that we're not entertaining really or thinking about a fixed-dose combination with antibiotics, that they would have to be administered separately. They have different half-lives. And uh, it just makes more sense to do that. So we're really talking combinations of MABs uh, with different targets and different mechanisms of action. So down the road, though, do you do you see a, a combination strategy with with an antibiotic and a monoclonal antibody being a, a potential way to combat? Again, this? not not probably not in a fixed dose combination because they would have to be dosed at different rates. We can give a single dose of a monoclonal antibody with its long half-life, whereas an antibiotic would have to be given more frequently because it has a shorter half-life. Is there any potential for using monoclonal antibody conjugates with, with, an, anti, with a, an antibiotic? Yeah, you mean like it like is used in uh, or is being... Same uh, way we see in cancer therapy, therapy today, yeah? Yeah. Um, there may be, but it's somewhat different in that um, antibodies, you know, the antibodies that are used in oncology uh, can enter cancer cells. They're taken up. Antibodies can be naturally taken up if they hit the right, right, right target by a host cell or cancer cell in inside the cell where the toxin or the drug can do its work. Um, bacteria don't uptake antibodies, but it still may be a way to concentrate an antibiotic, more of an antibiotic around the uh, the bacteria. So I, we are aware that others are working on that, and that's not an approach we're actually taking. There's regulatory interest in bringing new therapies in this area to market and, and using mechanisms such as fast-track designation to do that. What's the path forward for these two therapies, and, and how soon might we see the, them approach and, and turn into available treatments on the market? Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there's a lot happening in this space now. Um, actually, the European Union has been most progressive so far in stimulating interest in developing new antimicrobial drug discovery and development to be to meet the uh, antibiotic crisis. And, and an example of this is uh, the new drugs for bad bugs initiative in the uh, larger EU's Innovative Medicine Initiative, or the IMI. And, and we at MediMune are underway with Medi4893 uh, in a collaboration with the Combat-T Clinical Consortium for clinical trial work, in part funded by the Innovative Medicine Initiative. And uh, we're also starting to engage with them on Medi3902. But there is mounting interest in the U.S. now as well and in stimulating the development of new antibiotic approaches as evidenced by the GAIN Act and uh, for the new uh, antimicrobial strategies as evidenced in the recent White House uh, President's Council and Advisors on Science and Technology, the PCAST report I mentioned earlier. Um, and there may be more you know, uh, activity potentially brewing in Congress and the FDA. So some of the movement is on new ideas for economic stimulation, and some of it is progressive uh, regulatory reform in nature. But fast-track designation can certainly help accelerate, 
you know, the meetings and the review with the FDA, but other regulatory reform is also being discussed for accelerating new antimicrobial drugs and, and diagnostics. And so the landscape is really changing for the better on this front. And so while the average industry standard timeline these days is from IND to approval, maybe 10 to 12 years, we certainly hope that we can, we at Metamune can shave a few years off that and bring these promising agents to high-risk patients faster than that. The, the medical need and the urgency for these solutions is certainly there. Ken Stober, Senior Director of Infectious Disease Research for Metamune. Ken, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.